Well, good evening. It is good to be here. Uh, I guess I'm all turned on. Yeah, there we are. Good to be here in Choteau, Oklahoma. I really appreciate this congregation. I appreciate your fellowship and the work that we do. It's an encouraging time for me to get to be here with you all and to share with you the work that we have all been doing together. In Acts chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, uh, we read that as Barnabas and Saul were finishing their first missionary journey, they sailed to Antioch from whence they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had accomplished. And when they had come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that the Lord had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And that's, that's what I have the privilege of doing with you all this evening, is following Paul's example and sharing with you what God has been doing through our work together with, with, with the MANA Project. You know, as this year began, when I was here last time, we laid out our, our vision for 2020, which didn't exactly turn out the way we planned. But it's, it's been a good year in different ways than, than we expected. Of course, when the coronavirus made its, its appearance on the world stage, it changed everything. And uh, it left no part of our lives untouched. And we shut everything down and, and brought the world's greatest economy to, to a grinding halt. This year we've had both the best quarter since the Great Depression and the worst quarter since the Great Depression. And, and all of that really has been because we were concerned that we did not have the capability to deal with what this virus could unleash. Brothers and sisters, as much as that has been true for us here in America, it has very much been true for those who live in third world countries, in places like Uganda, Tanzania, and Cameroon. And those nations were very much aware of their inability to deal with these things. Uh, and as a result of that, their response to the virus has been highly militarized, and they've come out with very aggressive show of force and enforced draconian policies, which should make us thankful for the freedoms we've enjoyed this year. And as they've done so, they, they've been successful. They've shuttered uh, shops and, and markets and, and streets that were bustling with activity and, and life have been vacated. And successfully, they, they haven't really had the virus there, but the Africans have been sitting at home, unable to work, unable to get food, starving to death. According to the World Health Organization, when this year began, there was a chronic uh, epidemic of hunger in sub-Saharan Africa with some 257 million Africans chronically unable to get clean drinking water, unable to get food. And they estimated that by the end of this year, those numbers would double. And indeed, they have been on track to do exactly that. One brother in Uganda told me, instead of the coronavirus, the hunger will get us. He, he said that with the virus, there's 1% chance I might die, but with starvation, there's a 100% chance. The UN estimated that this year, some 30 million children would die of starvation as a direct result of the response to the virus. In other words, our efforts to stop the virus 
this year have killed more people than the virus itself will ever kill. And that effect has been troubling, to say the least. And meanwhile, here at home, as, as we all have been so acutely aware, things have changed. But even in the midst of all of this, as people have been jobless and incomes have suffered, small business and even some larger businesses have just gone away because of this thing. Our nation still remains by far and away the most generous people on the face of God's green earth. And there are so many people in third world countries who depend on our generosity for their survival. But wouldn't you know that this is not the first time that the Lord's people have dealt with a worldwide dearth. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we read that they were called Christians first at Antioch. And, and the idea that this is the very first time that the name of our Lord was applied in that way to his people, that's, that's huge. You know, we need to pay attention. They were doing something right. And in verse 27, we read that, that there came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. And, and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which was accomplished in the days of Claudius Caesar, verse 28. And as I put myself in the place of these brethren at Antioch, and, and the Holy Spirit revealed to them that there's going to be a worldwide famine, no doubt their reaction was, how is this going to affect Antioch? What's our community going to do? How is this going to affect our congregation? How, how is my family going to get through this? That's a natural reaction. and It's kind of the reaction we've all had, isn't it? That's okay. That's natural and, and, and important to think about our, our congregation, our family, and our community. But it's interesting to me to see the response of these Christians in verse 29. It says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea. And so here you see the Christians, they, they, they said, here's an opportunity, we're going to help. And so you, you see the, the congregation as a whole, but also the, the individuals, every man according to his ability, sending relief. And, and some had more ability, some had, had less ability. But they did what they could, and, and they determined to send this relief. And, and verse 30, the, the, they accomplished this, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here you see, by the way, an instance of church cooperation. You've got the elders there at Antioch and the saints there gathering up these resources, and, and they're sending them to the eldership in Jerusalem. And they sent it by the hands of missionaries that they know and, and trust. And the elders of Jerusalem, they, they have boots on the ground. They're, they're there. They, they can see what's going on. They can see the needs. And they can see how these things can best be used to glorify God. And so these congregations cooperate in that way. That's, that's what we do. That's biblical. But you see the impact that their response to this global dearth made and, and the things that happened as Barnabas and Saul traveled to, to, to do this and, and the impact that they had there in, in Jerusalem and Judea, it sent ripples into eternity. 
what an opportunity we have lying before us. And of course, at, at the Manna Project, right, we kind of try to work by the old idiom. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for life. And, and we've tried to do that, but I'm going to be frank with you. None of us saw this coming. And so this year, we've been giving out a lot of fish. But we've also been teaching people to fish along the way. And it's looked a little bit different this year than, than we thought that it would. But it's really been something. I want to submit to you Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. As Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his household, he talks about the, the gospel message, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing two things. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He went about doing good. When he saw an opportunity to, to help, he helped, whether that was healing the sick or, or raising the dead or, or, or feeding a multitude, making a lame man walk. He, he did that. He did good. And he was also healing those who were oppressed by the devil. Now, granted, this is the Son of God. And he probably was casting out some demons in there. But who are those who are most oppressed by the devil? Isn't it those that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, who are taken captive by him at his will, who are caught in the snare of sin. Can we do what Jesus did by doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil, by sharing with them the good news that frees them from sin? And it's interesting to know why Jesus was able to do that. Notice how the verse ends. For God was with him. That's why he was able to do it, because God was with him. Well, guess what? The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, ends with a, a, a similar promise, doesn't it? Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, unless there's a global pandemic. Now, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, even if the world's coming apart at the seams, I'm with you. What an encouraging promise. The fact that Jesus could do what he did because God was with him and we have the promise that he's with us. And if we can do what he did, brothers and sisters, whether it's halfway around the world in Africa or whether it's right here in Oklahoma, I would submit to you we're doing something right. And so at the Manor Project, as I mentioned to you all before when I was here, uh, we primarily have preaching schools in, in, in three countries, and these schools have two curriculum. The first of these is a Bible curriculum. We teach men to be, to be preachers. We place an emphasis on doctrinal soundness because if the teaching is not healthy and biblical, nothing else we do matters. We place an emphasis on personal evangelism, on doing what Jesus came to do, seeking and saving the lost. We place an emphasis on, on congregational development and going places where the gospel has not been planning new congregations. And the other side of this curriculum is the agricultural curriculum where you know, we're developing the local methods, teaching these guys a, a, a work ethic to plan and to plant and support themselves and their, their ministry. And this year has really, I, th I think, validated that, that plan. And I think you'll see why. We have three schools, as, as I mentioned. The first and oldest of these is the Roy School of Preaching in the Renzoi Mountains of southwestern Uganda. That school, we've graduated two classes of students. Uh, when we were there at the end of January, 
we handed 15 men their diplomas. And those 15 men, that's our second class that's graduated, they've all gone out. And they're doing the work. They're supporting themselves with farming, and they're spreading the gospel. And we received 15 more students, and those students uh, completed one complete academic quarter, and then Uganda went on, on lockdown, and they were dismissed to go home. And when, when they went home, 14 of those students returned. One student, it was not feasible for him to go home, so he stayed there at the school. Now, mind you, that school, all this, the food that those students eat is, is grown there on, on the farm. Well, you still have all this food growing, and, and all the students are gone. So what do we do with all that food? We gave it to the people who were starving in the village around the school. And when they came to get the food, guess who they heard about? They heard about Jesus Christ. And so that one student stayed and, and, and helped with that, and, and working on the farm. Now, after nine months on, on lockdown, uh, those students were able to return. We have now 12 students at the school. Two of the students during the lockdown, their situation substantially changed, and they could not return. One student would like to return, but he has been seriously ill, not with the virus, with something else, but still. And uh, so he's had to stay home dealing with that, and our prayers are with him that he will get better and be able to come back to school. But we've got 12 students who are now back at school there at Renzoi. Then we have the Modalea School of Preaching in Northwest Cameroon. Again, this area is still fraught with violence and, and armed conflict, and so that's been a little bit of a different duck. As, as all this unfolded, the French-speaking government ordered all schools to close. The English-speaking separatist fighters said any schools that obey that order will be attacked. So we told Eddie Paul, we said, look, brother, we're, we're stuck here, and you're stuck there. You do what you think best and what keeps you safe, and we'll support you in that. So the school there at Modelay has continued business as usual. Uh, they have met for classes. They've been working on the farm. They've had a fabulous harvest of bananas. They've been trapping tilapia fish out of the Kumba River, selling those at market. Uh, they've been going into the area villages for weekly evangelism campaigns and, and baptizing souls into Christ. They've been safe from the virus, and they've been safe from the violence. It's been great. One caveat, though. The, the separatist fighters this year have grown kind of camera shy, so if they catch you with an electronic device that has a camera on it, they'll take that off your hands for you. So communication has been slowed down a little bit between us and, and Brother Eddie Paul. But when he leaves that area and is able to get to a safer spot, to an Internet cafe, he's able to correspond with us and, and update us and, and, and that kind of thing. But the work's going great there, and souls are being saved. We graduated last year six students who have all gone out and are all working with congregations. There are eight students there now who are studying and uh, evangelizing and, and doing great work. Pray for the church there in that area, in that difficult situation. And then we have the Talawanda School of Preaching in Tanzania. This is in the coastal area that's controlled by a majority of Muslims. When we first got to Talawanda a year and a half ago, there were two Christians in town. We brought both of them with us. The Lord's Church there in Talawanda now has over 20 saints who are worshiping there. When you leave town, headed in either direction, the next village you come to, you'll find a congregation of the Lord's Church that didn't exist a year and a half ago. And that school... We have now eight students there. Six students began a year and a half ago. We do an intake every two years. It's a two-year program. We have two students that began at the beginning of the second year. We made an exception for both of them, and I think that you'll agree with me on that when you see why. Uh, but that school's doing, doing very well. And, and 
has been really the least affected by all of this. Uh, me and Brother Greg Knight were able to return there this fall, and I was telling Brother Dingley, uh, you know, the, the, the suffering that we've gone through, we spent the first half of November in a place where there was no coronavirus and there was no news about the election. It was Roth. <laughs> Here you see a map of the Renzori Mountains in southwestern Uganda. Uh, that line down the middle is the border between Uganda and Congo. Each of those pins represents one of the students that I handed a diploma to in January and the work that they are now doing. Men like Jonas. There's Jonas and his family on graduation getting ready uh, to go out. And yes, that entire family is riding that one motorcycle, about a three-hour trip. That's how they roll in Africa. Jonas comes from Ibanda district, an area about the size of a county here. Uh, there's no congregation in Ibanda. He learned the gospel through a correspondence course that came out of Kisesi, where our school is. And when he became a Christian, he came to school to learn to preach. And him and his family have gone home to Ibanda and began working and have planted a congregation there. And I, I talked to Jonas. I said, how, how, how are you doing with the lockdown? He said, brother, we're doing great. A every student, when they graduated, we gave them a goat and we gave them a variety of seeds for food crops. We told them, when you get home, first thing, plant your seeds and breed your goat. The first kid that you get from that goat, give it to somebody in your village who has a need. And then breed her again and grow your herd. And that's what they've been doing. And so Jonah says, me and my family have been able to eat uh, from our garden. We've been able to share with some of the needy in our village. And we're doing well. And the church here is growing. Daniel Kalimba came to us from Kisindi, Congo. Uh, when Daniel came to us from, uh, to go to school, his wife, he was a new Christian. His wife was still a Muslim. His wife is now our sister in Christ. And they went home to Congo. And Daniel loved keeping the goats. I think I told you all uh, last year when I was here, that's his favorite goat bully boy. He said, when I get home, I'm going to keep goats. That's how I'm going to support myself. And so he's, he's done that. And uh, he's been preaching and evangelizing. And though the markets have been closed, here and there, by and by, he's been able to sell some of his crops. And he's purchased airtime on the local radio station. He's been evangelizing on the radio. And through that, he's gotten contacts and had Bible studies and last I heard from him, he'd baptized six souls into Christ. And the Lord's church is in a country that we cannot safely go to. And it continues to grow. Josephat was uh, a, an exceptional student. When he graduated, he went to the village of Kidoda, which is south of Kisesi, again, a place where there's no congregation. And shortly after he got there, the area was hit with massive floods. But the thing that he reported is with all that flood water, he had no problems finding a place to baptize people. <laughs> and the Lord's Church there at Kadodo now has over 20 saints. I think it's like 24 that are meeting there. And as the lockdowns and, and, and the hunger set in, we worked with Joseph Fat and gave that congregation over 600 pounds of corn. And they distributed that first to the saints and then to those who were starving in their village. And many of those who received food learned the gospel and have been baptized into Christ. Further to the north in the Bundibujo district, this is Matijan. Matijan came to us from the village of Kalealea. That church was established three years ago, and three friends who were Muslims learned the gospel. And they set the mountainside on fire evangelizing. When I first came into contact with that congregation about two years ago, 
uh, they had a building that was C80 and it was standing room only. And so they began looking around and they sent members out and established a congregation in the village of Corindy, a good ways away. The building was still too small, so they added on to it. They could see 120. May of 2018, when we were there, still standing room only. Matty John has gone back to Kalei He's working with the evangelism there. And he wrote to me during the lockdown. He said, Brother, thank you for my seeds. I have planted my seeds and my family is eating. We have more food than we can eat from our garden. So we're sharing our vegetables with those in our village who are starving. And we're also sharing Jesus with them. And him, like Daniel, he bought airtime on the radio. And he said, we are on lockdown, but the word of God is not bound. And he continues to preach and to evangelize. And I mentioned that congregation in Corindy. Uh, this is Ronald. Ronald is the preacher there at Corindy. That congregation started with eight souls in July of 2018. And when we were there in May of, well, I'm getting my timeline a little messed up. It was July of 2017 that congregation started. When we were there in May of 2018, before all this coronavirus stuff happened, or 19, move all that forward a year. I need more coffee. <laughs> anyway, when we were there in May of the year before this happened, in the little 8 by 10 room where that congregation met, there were over 30 people crammed in and more standing outside wanting to know what was going on. And that congregation was continuing to grow. They started with eight souls. November of 2019, the village of Karendi was basically destroyed by mudslides. 16 people killed, 400 homes destroyed. Uh, that sign of the church building you see there in the flood damage, I pulled that from national news media outlet. Everybody in Uganda saw that sign on the news. Ronald was living in that little building. He got out with nothing but his life, but he got out. And uh, we were kind of wondering what to do. Well, as providence and the Lord's people would have it, about three weeks before that happened, a dear brother and sister down in South Texas said, we want to help that congregation find some land. And so a search began to be made. And we found two acres right on the main highway going to Congo. And five days before the mudslide, we closed on that land. When the mudslide hit, that two acres was about the only spot in town that was high and dry. It was already planted in bananas. So immediately, the Lord's people began helping their neighbors with food from that two acres. And in the months that followed, a church building was erected. Actually, last month, for the first time, they were able to meet in that building. The lockdowns were lifted enough that they are able to do that. And they've continued to cultivate that two acres. And while everybody's been on lockdown and starving, the Lord's people have been growing food on all of that two acres and sharing that with those in their village and teaching them about Jesus Christ. What are they doing? Well, ultimately, we're doing what Jesus did. We're doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil. Moving south to Tanzania, that red map pin represents our school there in Talawanda. And uh, each of those blue pens is a congregation that a year and a half ago did not exist. And these are congregations uh, in places like Mindukini. That's a village just north of the Lugoba Trading Center where the school gets a lot of its supplies like rakes and hoes and, and things like that. There's a denominational preacher there in Mindukini who heard about the school that was teaching Bible. And he contacted us. He said, I want to know more about the Bible. I don't know enough. And so we taught him. 
And he became a New Testament Christian. He was baptized into Christ. And so together with Maurice and the students from the school, they began going door to door there in Mindukini. After he had taught his congregation and a new church was planted there, they just changed the sign. Uh, and all those people were, most of them anyway, were baptized into Christ. They were, they were going door to door. And, and this is an area that is a mixture of tribal religions and, and Islam. Islam has a very strong hold there. And that preacher wrote and said, we have met with resistance, but we are not stopped. In places like Imgeta, which is just outside of Morogoro, in September of 19, when we were there, we were invited to Morogoro to study with two sectarian preachers. One was a Seventh-day Adventist, the other one was from the Fire Gospel Pentecostal Church. And they had some questions because they saw conflicts between things that the Holy Spirit was revealing to them and what they read in their Bible. And so we talked about authority. We talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. And that those scriptures have everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. And that our God is not the author of confusion. The Holy Spirit is not going to come around later and reveal something that adds to, takes away from, or contradicts what he's already written down. And so when we left, they still had a lot of questions. And so they continued to study with Maurice and, and Henri, the instructors at our school there. And by and by, both were baptized into Christ. And they, in turn, went and taught their congregations. The first one uh, immediately baptized eight souls. The other congregation was a little slower in coming. And 24 souls were baptized there. Two new congregations, a total of 32 souls baptized into Christ. One of those preachers was a man by the name of Epiphanos and Goyim. And Epiphanos said, I don't know enough to continue to teach these people. I need to go to school. I can't wait. So we accepted him as a student at the beginning of the second year. So he's going to do the second year first and then the first year second. And while he's there at the school, we're sending trusted brothers to go and help that new congregation to learn and to grow. And we were visiting with Ngoy. He says, there's 200 other souls there who are listening to my teaching who need the truth and are ready to listen. And this year has really shown, I think, the truth of what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows vanity is void of understanding. And because these men are farmers and they raise food crops, when all of this happened, they were positioned and ready to help in a way that otherwise they could not have. And doors have been opened while people have been starving. And the, and the government, this has been an election year, not just here, but, but there too. And so the governments there have actually ordered any politicians or government officials who pass out food will be prosecuted for attempted murder for spreading the virus. So everybody's on a lockdown. They can't move. They can't work. They can't buy food. But nobody's giving them food either. The Lord's church is. Doors are being opened. Another one of the students that came to us there at Talawanda, uh, his name was Joseph Kazidi. Joseph had spent his life as a soldier. He was working as an armed security guard at a bank when that bank was robbed, and the robbers mowed him down with a machine gun. He took three bullets. One destroyed his elbow, which makes it difficult to run a hoe, by the way. But he spent several weeks in the hospital, almost died. And so when he was recuperating with that, his ancestral family land was at Talawanda, so he went home. 
to recuperate. And he heard about this school that was teaching the Bible. And his priorities were, were different now. And he wanted to know about Jesus. So we taught him the gospel, baptized him in the creek nearby. And he said, I've got to share this with others. So he wanted to come immediately to school. And so he's our other second year student who started at the beginning of the second year. And ultimately, I'll submit to you, we're just doing what Jesus did, doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil. And it makes a difference in places like Chabikua. Chabikua is a mountain village there in Uganda, the home of Enos. Enos grows excellent coffee, by the way. He's one of the instructors there at the school at Renzori. Well, for nine months, that school's been closed by the government. The man hadn't been teaching. What in the world has he been doing? Well, Enos had a plan last year, and he had begun working on his farm, and he dug and installed tilapia ponds. He was going to raise tilapia, have this fish to sell at the market, and make some money. It was successful. He had the fish, but the markets were closed. So he's been giving the fish to those in his village who were starving. And there's Enos and his wife Sylvia working together harvesting ubundo. Ubundo is a root. Enos says it is our favorite food. When they prepare it, it's about the color, consistency, and taste of wallpaper paste. <laughs> Africans love this stuff. But, but, but they've been sharing that with those in, in his village. And, and working together with Enos at the beginning of this thing, uh, we sent about 1,100 pounds of food to Chabiku and the surrounding villages. They distributed that first to the saints and then to those who were outside of Christ but in need. And then as this thing wore on and the lockdown continued, Enos came back. He said, brothers, we're almost out of that food, but we don't want more food. We want seeds. And so we sent them seeds. And he took that around again, first to the saints and then to those who are outside of Christ. He said, don't eat this. Let's plant it. I'll show you how. So Enos worked alongside of them, hoeing and planting those seeds. And guess what they talked about while they hoed? They talked about Jesus Christ. And souls have been added to the Lord's body. One such soul was a widow over 80 years old, had nobody. She's sitting there starving to death. The Lord's church gave her food, and then they gave her seeds. She couldn't plant those seeds, so they planted those seeds for her. And they taught her the gospel of Christ. She is now our sister. And I feel a little bit tentative telling you my plans for next year. <laughs> One thing, you know, I, I, I've been overseas twice this year. What does a missionary do when he has nowhere to go? Well, at one point, I heard that the federal government was looking for people to go door knocking. So I signed up with the U.S. Census Bureau, knocked about 1,400 doors in our community, found 14 souls who said they wanted to study the Bible. Now, not all of those have panned out, but I've stayed pretty busy with, with Bible studies there in, in our community. Souls who, in a different year, wouldn't have been interested. But this year, yeah, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what's beyond this. The fields are wide unto harvest. There's doors being opened. If the Lord wills and governments allow, we plan to return to Talawanda and uh, right now, the lockdown is still very restrictive for travelers in Uganda. We're waiting for that to be released some before we can go back there. But Tanzania is open. And we're continuing to pray that uh, peace 
will prevail in Cameroon so we can return there. One of the things I'm excited about that we accomplished when we were there in November is I looked up and found a couple of print shops who had the capabilities to print books of a good quality. And I found one on the island of Zanzibar who can actually send the books by bus right there to Lugoba. And uh, so we're going to be able to get training materials into the hands of these guys at a reasonable price. The only catch is I'm now busy translating those things into Swahili for them. <laughs> Google helps with that a lot. <laughs> Uh, but I'm excited about that. Of course, printing all those books takes a little bit of money. But the Lord provides. If you haven't already done so, check out our website, manafarm.org. While you're there, subscribe to our email list. I try to send out an email one time a week. Very short email, one thing. Tells you some of the things that are going on, things you can be praying for. I think you'll find it encouraging. And if you're on social media, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash manaprojectchurchofchrist. Like and follow us. And and again, the brethren there are nine hours ahead of us. So this morning it was fun getting up and, and seeing that there in the Renzori Mountains of Uganda, there was one soul baptized into Christ. Her name is Hope. She's now our sister. And so I think you'll find it encouraging to, to, to follow that. And we do need continued fellowship to keep this work going. If we can find those four individuals or congregations uh, $5,000 one time. That will fully fund all of our needs for support for our family and for the travels and the work that we have planned for 2021. I want to wrap up with this thought from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, Now he that ministers seed to the sower. I would submit to you that God provides both literal seeds and also the seed of the word of God. And certainly he provides bountifully both. He that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food. And we are blessed here in this nation. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been hungry this year. My doctor's kind of fussed about that a little bit. But, you know, it's the holidays, so. Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Brothers and sisters, you have fellowship in this work. This is the fruits of your righteousness. And my prayer for you is that that will multiply and increase overseas and here. And, 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 and Paul goes on and says that you being rich in everything, that you might be full in all things, which produces through us thanksgiving to God. For the service of this ministration not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is abundant also through many thanksgivings unto God. Whiles by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ. And isn't it interesting? When we go about doing what Jesus did, we're showing the world our submission to the gospel of Christ. And notice who they glorify. They glorify God, for your liberal distribution to them and to all men. When they see your generosity, they don't glorify you. They glorify God. Isn't that what we want? That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 16, isn't it? They see your good works and glorify your Father. And he goes on in verse 14. He says, and by their prayers for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God, 
which is in you. And that's one of the things that I find so exciting, being involved in work like this, is as much as we're praying for the Lord's church who's in those difficult situations in those places, brothers and sisters, they're praying for you. And then Paul says, verse 15, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. And when we think about the gift that God has given, it is unspeakable. Not enough can be said about the grace of God which is in Christ Jesus. And we show our thanks and we glorify him by following in his footsteps and doing what he did. And that begins by initially submitting to the gospel of Christ through faith, repentance, and New Testament water baptism. I ask you, have you done that this evening? If not, there's no better time than right now. And if you have, how are you doing? Maybe you need prayers. Prayers for, for forgiveness. We all do from time to time. Maybe it's something said or done or something left unsaid or undone. Maybe you need prayers for, for strength, for courage, for, for wisdom, for something that you're worried about. This year certainly had enough to worry about. We're told to cast our cares on him, for he cares for you. Maybe it's something or somebody else. Let's pray together. That's what God's family is for. If this evening you are subject in any way to the Lord's invitation, now is the time. Let it be known. While together we stand and while we sing.